This is Kyle Worthy. Welcome to Maxworth Insights. Our chance to talk with hospital administrators and physician leaders about healthcare's unique challenges. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Peter Angood, CEO of the American Association for Physician Leadership. Before joining the organization, Dr. Angood was the first Chief Patient Safety Officer of the Joint Commission, where he oversaw the National Patient Safety Goals and International Patient Safety Initiatives. Earlier in his career, Dr. Angood practiced medicine with the hospitals of McGill University System. He was also a member of the surgical faculty at University of Pennsylvania, Yale University, and Washington University in St. Louis. His diverse background gives us a unique perspective on the challenges facing healthcare organizations and providers. Our managing partner, Steve Worthy, sat down with Dr. Angood while attending the organization's Fall Institute, where they discussed the changing healthcare industry and how AAPL is helping physicians and healthcare organizations overcome the challenges of physician engagement, integration, and burnout. As an industry leader, one who has multiple perspectives based on your background, uh, what what do you believe is some of the most important challenges facing healthcare today? Yeah, thank you for that. The industry, you know, is inherently complex, and it has evolved in its complexity over the past few decades, even more so than earlier than that. And that complexity, I think, uh, has multiple facets to it. So whether you're a clinician, a physician, other clinicians, whether you're an administrator, I think managing that complexity is probably what's pressing everybody the most in the background. Obviously, you can then also go into different layers of that and you know, part of it is patient care, patient satisfaction, part of it is workforce satisfaction, and uh, obviously trying to have the right number in, in terms of staffing. Uh, finances always come into play, and what's the alignment of the financial models that uh, are evolving. And then, yes, there's a, an awful lot of talk about the shift to value, uh, but I don't think we've got that figured out as an industry. And so, that's creating some of the uh, confusion as to how to manage that complexity. And then you've got other relatively new areas coming into place which we don't quite yet understand. And that is uh, obviously one being population health. There's also these other concepts of shared decision-making with the patients and the families and how do we assimilate those into this other world of complexity that's evolving as well. So. Um, at its broadest, yeah, it's complex. Inside of all of that, there's just way, way too many paths in which you can get uh, caught up in as a, as a hospital, as a health system, and even as practitioners. So how do we simplify will be part of the challenge moving forward. Navigating the complexity, um, do you see a single resource emerging as the thought leaders uh, in the multiple layers of complexity? Is there going to be coming out of this, emerging out of this, a, uh, a standard uh, that's being led by any particular stakeholder in that group of complexity? That's a great question. And um, I would love to be able to say yes, but I actually don't think so. And, you know, we've all heard the catchphrase at some level, all healthcare is local in the same way all politics are local. So each environment's going to wind up needing to find out what works for them. Uh, I think that the uh, 
physician workforce in this society is still very much held in high regard as a leadership profession. And so there is still a natural tendency to want to look towards the physicians as some of those leaders, certainly as it relates to patient care. Um, but however, there are also other clinical disciplines who are not only trying to elevate their scope of responsibilities and the activities they can do, but there's also an expanding number of types of clinical disciplines out there. And depending on how you want to count that up, uh, there's anywhere between 100, I'm sorry, 80 to 110, 115 different types of clinical disciplines out there. And as you go around the country, you can see different models of that evolving. But in terms of patient care, the physicians are still um, either directly providing or directly influencing the provision of patient care in the vast majority. And I'm talking 90, 95% of the care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that physician centricity is, I think, going to continue to be uh, very much prevalent for some time. How the physicians work in teams, how the teams work around that, and the physician doesn't always have to be the boss of the team, but how does this multi-professional type of an approach uh, evolve? I think that if there's some kind of standard that might come into play in terms of patient care, then it's going to be a well-functioning, high-performing, multi-professional team that's deeply integrated. Now, how do the non-clinical discipline administrators and the managers in, in these various systems uh, help to make that happen? Well, I think that's uh, one of the challenges that's going to occur, and these clinical disciplines, whether it's the physicians, the nurses, the pharmacists, etc., if they've also been given a complementary set of leadership skills and management skills, the opportunity to work with the non-clinical leaders and administrators becomes far more strong. And the reason for that is then the clinicians, they know what optimal patient care is, but then if they're well-seasoned in leadership and management principles, they can help those organizations run more efficiently with better quality, better safety, improved value, all those catchphrases mm -hmm. that we, we know about. And that can integrate better with what the, the non-clinical leaders and administrators are trying to accomplish. And so we'll see in different environments different versions of so-called dyad models or triad models where you've got these clinical pairings or, or couplings with the non-clinical. Um, so multi-professional team-based care and these different types of multi-professional administrative leadership models, I think, are what will evolve. We'll never standardize them, again, because all healthcare is local. In the early 1990s to the, about the mid-1990s, there was a trend to physician employment and hospitals buying practices and right. practice groups and employing physicians directly. And then today, there seems to be a, a and documented, pretty well documented, and uh, both anecdotal and quantitatively, that there is a now a resurgence or trend of employment. Uh, how do you see that? Uh, transition to employment, uh, would you uh, view that as as uh, an adjunct or a facilitation of this complexity, or do you see it as uh, somewhat um, of a challenge to the complexity? I think, well, it's a great question, and, uh, you know, I'm old enough and seasoned enough. I lived through those early 90s and had my own experiences with that, and as we are now in this newer era of the employment trends, 
I think most of us uh, that have the opportunity and the privilege of some degree of influence are always very mindful of, well, let's not replicate what we did in the, in the 90s. Uh, I think to answer your question, I think this employment trend is, has multiple factors related to it. Some of it is related to the value approach in terms of delivering care, and some of it's related to uh, the workforce and the wellness of the workforce and a preference. So on the first part of that, you know, the trends were beginning to occur before the Affordable Care Act, but if you look at how to provide the full spectrum of care, regardless of which environment you're in, uh, again, what begins to come through is that you need a continuity of physician um, oversight of those patients' care, whether it's in the pre-care setting with, you know, all of the uh, social determinants of health, which we're all very much talking about these days through preventative care into acute care management and then the post-acute care environment and long-term care. So if there's a continuity of uh, clinical oversight in there, then that provides better patient outcomes. Well, if you're going to have that occur, uh, ideally, as the delivery systems try to provide that full spectrum of care, you need providers who are going to be in there to help make sure that provision of care has got that continuity. So there's a thirst in many uh, delivery systems to have employed providers and employed physicians in place so that there's a stronger um, commitment to the provision of that continuity of care. And that seems to be paying off in terms of better outcomes for patient care overall, better patient satisfaction, and actually better um, provider satisfaction as well. On the provider side, as they've been continuing to witness the last couple of decades, um, and as the younger generation brings forth their their preference for work-life balance and all that, that that actually is cascading up into the more well-established aspects of the professions. And in the physician community, you know, there's a variety of reasons, but a desire to get into some type of an employed situation uh, is uh, a part of this trend. One, I think I can provide better, more consistent patient care, might have a little bit better controllable lifestyle, there'll be a little bit less bureaucracy in managing my practice because that'll be part of the system's approaches, and overall that'll give me a a generally better sense of uh, satisfaction, not only in my professional life, but in my personal life. So, those two forces, I think, are what's driving us. How do we make it succeed and not replicate the managed care uh, scenario of the 90s? I don't think we've quite got that one figured out. And that'll, again, come back to what the new uh, financial models evolve towards as we address value. Is there any particular organization that you see out there, or, or if you will, when you look at I believe you, I've heard you refer to the constellation of these services, constellation of services. Is there anyone better positioned than another uh, to, uh, uh, to, to maximize that, that mm-hmm. model? Yeah, and you know, I, always, I always hesitate to name out a model uh, organization because typically they have a long history, they have good financial resources, and uh, they've got uh, a stable leadership culture, if you will. And yet, when you look critically at the number of delivery systems around the country, um, there are not that many that you would classify as true high-performing organizations. If you compared other industries and what high-performing organizations meant, 
Uh, sure, we have some, some wonderful models out there. Um, but even inside of those high perform healthcare high performing uh, systems, they have their difficulties in certain areas. So there's a lack of consistency even inside of the higher performing places. I think the model that's beginning to evolve uh, that I see, and it's it's a complicated one, but is the so-called clinically integrated network models, and those organizations that are able to put their resources and get them lined up in a way that provides that integrated approach are the ones that are beginning to succeed a little bit better. Mm -hmm. The ones that sort of take it another step forward are those are the ones that have their own um, um, payment provider insurer model as a part of that clinical integrated network. Mm -hmm. So they're able to control that other side of the delivery equation. And control is maybe the wrong word because they obviously still have to compete in the marketplace with other payers and et cetera. But um, if you're able to put that as a part of it, I think that model seems to, to work very well for, for not as many places as we'd like to see because it takes, again, a certain number of resources to mm -hmm. stand up one of those payer models that's integrated into your delivery model. But that seems to work. So even in those well-functioning, interdisciplinary types of organizations where it may work in, say, a particular market or city, uh, when you take that same approach in another city, uh, you don't always get the same results. There's no guarantees on that, absolutely. Yeah. You know, again, to our little catchphrase earlier, all, all yeah. healthcare is local, but the the cultural expectations, the leadership expectations across a large multi-state system, yes, they can be stated, but how you actually implement on those cultural and leadership expectations is what determines a little bit of that variability. And then, obviously, those leaders and, and managers are, are trying to work with what's kind of previously established medical delivery or clinical delivery models, and what are those cultures? So... So yeah, what goes on in the West Coast is certainly different than the East Coast, which is different than the Southeast, and so there have to be these nuances. But if you can begin to develop that thread of integrated approaches, that is what will drive us eventually to a better performing set of healthcare systems and delivery mechanisms. As a physician, based on your own experience and, and the work that you're doing now with physician leaders, do you... Um, do you see a, a, a gap in, uh, in coming out of residency, going into practice, whether it be in what, regardless of affiliation, the expectation of the physician and the reality? Uh, is there a, a significant gap there? And do you, and if so, are there any things that you see that could help bridge that gap? The general expectation still is of the physician workforce that they are uh, not only clinically smart and intelligent and will follow what's best clinical practices, but that somehow or other they've accrued this leadership and management skills. And there's just this inherent expectation there. Uh, I think the delivery systems are getting smarter and aware that that's not necessarily the case, but in many facilities around the country, there still is that you know, the physician seems to, to know all of that. And certainly within the physician workforce, there are some natural leaders who will just 
move on through and just through the strength of their character and their skills, they'll become those leaders and managers. But you're absolutely right. There is, in general, a gap. And uh, a few facilities out there are beginning to provide those leadership and management sorts of exposures for the physician workforce. Um, our organization uh, is the only organization that still continually solely focuses on physician leadership and management. And as we continue to you know, diversify our approaches, it's how do we make sure we've got the right sets of uh, leadership and management educational opportunities, but also how do we help those physicians begin to better understand how to manage their careers, how do they interface better with these organizations. When you look outside of our organization, if you look outside of some of those delivery systems that are offering some of this, yes, there are other offerings. You know, a half of the medical schools have combined MD-MBA programs, but I'm not seeing the impact of those as yet. You know, the physicians come out with some extra letters behind their name, but I haven't felt yet in the industry how they're impacting change in our industry. And I think it's partly because they're just so young in their career. And so, you know, they've, they've got some nice exposures, but it'll take some time before we see the impact of that. And then the other, obviously, is the university environments. Are, uh, there's a variety of executive MBA programs, some of them specifically focused on healthcare. Uh, but again, it winds up being a little bit more business-oriented and less so about how do you really fill that gap of integrating clinical knowledge and leadership and management knowledge. And our own sets of educational strategies, whether it's individual courses, our certified physician executive program, or the affiliated master's degree programs that we have, but specifically our CPE, that's the one that really helps to integrate, and, and we're designed with that to bridge that gap that you've uh, alluded to. It seems to me that maybe in previous generations there wasn't a lot of attention paid to what I've heard you refer to um, several times today, and that is the physician's personal life. The physician's, uh, I, I would phrase it maybe the whole person approach to all the things that are available to develop a physician, and not just their clinical abilities, maybe not even their leadership abilities. Is, is AAPL focused now on maybe taking that into consideration, the whole person, uh, and which it would seem to me would make a better physician at the end of the day? Yeah, no, great question, and thanks for bringing that up. Um, you know, yeah, I've been in this role about five, six years, and we've uh, predictably, you know, transformed the organization at sort of its core operational level. As we've been watching the environment evolve, uh, you know, you can't pick up any of your journals without hearing something about burnout and all that stuff. That conversation actually started about a decade ago when we were paying attention to the uh, disruptive behavior, and it's fortunately it's evolved to recognize that that's actually just a symptom of, of burnout. And so the, the conversation is now much more broad. Those of us that have been clinically active, uh, you know, for the last 30 years or, or more, we knew that was going on already on the front lines. It's just now begun to surface, and it started with that disruptive behavior stuff. Now it's into the burnout side. And so, yeah, for sure, as we look at our complexion of, of offerings, we're paying strong attention to this. 
And um, yet what we've recognized so far is that a lot of the efforts are more oriented to symptom management of the individuals. So yes, resilience is important. Let's teach you some resilience. Mindfulness is important. Let's teach you some of that. But when you actually dig into the literature around burnout, et cetera, there's actually a much stronger component of system complexity and how the systems create the environments that begin to have individuals get off of their primary purpose. And so, yeah, we'll continue to try and work at, at physician leaders changing the environments, but in all of that, we also have to help the individuals get a better balance in their approaches. So actually, we uh, just have rolled out a new initiative, which we call Beyond Burnout and Resilience. And what we're doing in that approach is uh, multifaceted. And that is, at a first portion of that exposure, it's who are you as a human being? Who are you as an individual? What are your core values, your core ideals, your core beliefs? And why are you even in this world from that perspective? Then we take them into, well, now, how do you view yourself as a physician? And how is that current view um, been impacted in your practice and uh, have you drifted from your core values and beliefs and ideals and how do, how do you recognize that for yourself because a lot of them are frustrated but they're not seeing how they've drifted and then we provide some context by really delineating better well here is the complexity of the healthcare system and here's what's going on in your environments and here's why you're feeling those things and so that, that is kind of, well, let's open them up and, and give them some better insights. And then actually what we've done is if we, you know, we all now know the, the healing power of nature. And just think for yourself, you, you know, you're sitting beside a lake somewhere and something happens, right? You feel better. So there is a real healing part of that. So we take them out into nature and just give some time for reflection and just sort of start getting back to their core and then we start taking them to the solutions. How do you then provide solutions for yourself as a person, yourself as a physician, but then more importantly, how do you then take that to your peers, your partners, your family, your community, and in your own environment, how are you able to begin creating some of that change at the systems level? And then the final piece of that is then how do you stay connected with a new community so that you sustain your energy to keep that holistic approach. So that's kind of what we're up to. This is much deeper than just, we'll teach you some mindfulness stuff. Yeah. You know, Mindfulness is a piece of it, right. but it's a much more holistic. And, and it's a bit of a catchphrase, but um, we just finished one of these events recently. You could watch the transformation of the participants and quite spontaneously, they were all feeling uh, much more wholesome about their lives. One woman actually got up and said, thank you for helping me see my idealism again. It's, it's important stuff, you know, yeah, yeah. So we'll continue this, and, and we actually uh, consider it to be somewhat of a social movement, and we'll keep moving forward in this and expand it. We've got uh, some critically important other uh, associations in this um, that are collaborating already, and uh, in due course of time, we'll make that better well known. But um, 
I think we got a lot of legs on this one, so this it's an important area. And it's not just the docks. Let me let me okay. make that sure. It's okay. the workforce. Okay. It's the workforce as a whole. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we tend to think it's well as docks, nurses, etc. But it's all those clinical providers. And mm -hmm. I bet you there's a component of those non-clinical administrators that are struggling with it yet. So if we're five years from now and we look back on these last five years and we're sitting here having this conversation today, what has to happen inside AAPL for you to be really happy uh, with the outcome? Yeah, well, thank you for that deep question. <laughs> the, the organization has responded beautifully to what we've been doing with it over these last five years, and we've set ourselves up, and we say this internally all the time, how do we now leverage to the maximal ability that we can in terms of creating the impact for healthcare? And so if we project out another five years from now, I think um, what I would like us to, to be able to say is that we are clearly still the dominant influence group as it relates to physician leadership. At that as well, we are very much appreciated for the interprofessional approaches around leadership and that we are a strong competitor in healthcare overall as it relates to leadership. And that as we do this, um, you know, healthcare is um, under a lot of stress globally. And we have numerous members, we've got 40 plus countries represented in our membership in, in this organization. And the components of leadership and management are similar across other industries, so it's going to be similar in healthcare. And I've done enough international work to know that, you know, healthcare is fairly uniform around the world. 80% of it is about the same. You know, people are people, diseases are diseases, and physiology is physiology. That 20-25% difference is the culture and the resources available to manage that healthcare. And so in five years from now, I would uh, expect that we'll be much more internationally engaged as well and that we're providing that full, holistic, rounded approach to physician leadership for the individuals, for the organizations they work, and for the places that they're represented. And we're seen as that go-to organization. Is there anything uh, that, as we've talked through and uh, had some questions here in the last minute or two that we have together, is there anything that you would like to say to the audience that would be listening to this podcast that we might have left out that didn't that we didn't ask you about mm -hmm. that you would like to maybe close with as we finish our time together today? Well, again, thank you so much for the opportunity to be participating in, in this uh, podcast, and we have covered an awful lot of territory. I think uh, maybe a closing message is that, you know, for the physician workforce, it's still a distinct privilege to be able to be a physician. Our reasons for why we became physicians was we're caring, compassionate people who carry a lot of idealism, and we want to be able to create that change in other people's lives in a positive way. And... Yes, we're under a lot of stress and duress. Yes, it's a complex, complicated industry. But where we're at in this era of healthcare, the industry is still looking at physician leadership for that guidance. And, you know, we can still get back to our core at the very simple moment in healthcare. It's that patient physician relationship 
and what occurs in there, and we need to recapture the essence of that so that everybody of all com components of the industry stays focused on that. And I will leave with this last challenging question. We all say patient-centered care is what we're after, but in our current era of healthcare, patient-centered care is very disruptive. We have to think through how to solve that disruption. Thanks for listening to this episode of MaxWorth Insights. We appreciate Dr. Angood sharing his perspective on the changing healthcare landscape. If you would like to learn more about the American Association for Physician Leadership or how MaxWorth's work can complement the organizational goals we discussed on today's episode, please see the additional resources below. We look forward to speaking with you again in the near future.